Have you noticed this advertising technique, which uh, it, it, it's a way to convince you to, to, to buy by convincing you how popular a product is? Like, so back when we actually were allowed to go to theaters, you'd hear a commercial with that, you know, theater voice. Knives Out is the number one movie in Canada. Come see what everybody's talking about. Or uh, you may have noticed on Netflix lately that they have started showing a top 10 list. Um, and, I, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit influenced by that. Hmm, I, Queen's Gambit, I hate chess, but maybe I should see what all the fuss is about. Or like uh, the Ford F truck series, you know, the number one truck in Canada. Four out of five dentists agree. Number one New York Times bestseller. Um, the most downloaded app. Why do advertisers use uh, these types of messages? Because they work. Because we all have to one degree or another a little bit of FOMO. Millennials just turn to a boomer and explain what that is. Actually, I'll just do it for you. It's the fear of missing out. Well, if all these other people like it, maybe I should ch check it out. There is in us a, a brokenness, a, a, a piece that longs for acceptance. Uh, popularity not only means success, sometimes it means legitimacy, right? Well, what if Jesus was serious that the popular path sometimes leads to destruction? We've been talking about the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And so here's the next part. If you'll read along with me, Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I think, I think this should start with those of us in church ministry wrestling with, with what this verse means for us. For instance, what if my desire, what if our desire was to make Jesus so appealing that we would so water down the cost of discipleship? the cost of following Jesus, that we would just abandon what it means to follow the narrow road. Am I presenting a God to people that is really just a God that they want, a God created in our image, if you will? Beware the pitfalls of popularity. Jesus is starting to wrap up his Sermon on the Mount, and some of you, after four months of, of this series, might be saying, it's about time. But last week, he gave us the golden rule, right? Which is sort of a one-sentence bottom line of his teaching thus far. And what follows now really is, is the application of his sermon, how, how the listeners of this sermon are to apply and respond to his teaching. You know, like any sermon worth its salt has an application. It's one of the differences between like a theological, you know, speech or lecture versus preaching. It's like uh, Paul on the day of Pentecost. Today's Pentecost, right? I'm not totally up on my liturgical calendar, but I think it is. Today's Pentecost. This is perfect. P 
Peter on the day of Pentecost preaches from the Old Testament. He shows how Jesus is obviously the Messiah. And when the, the listeners were cut to the, cut to the quick, it says, and they, and they cry out, what shall we do? Help us apply this, Peter. And he does. He says, repent, be baptized. And, and uh, 3,000 uh, applied his message that day. And so this first application, Jesus says, is enter through the narrow gate. It was a narrow gate then. It's a narrow gate today, 2,000 years later. Now, listen, I know how this has been preached over the years. I know how you have heard it preached. I know how I have heard it preached. I know probably how you would preach it today. Uh, from, for most of us, it's an issue of saved versus unsaved. Uh, heaven and hell. In the kingdom, not in the kingdom. And that interpretation certainly isn't heresy or anything. But I'm looking at context again. I'm challenging us to be good Bible interpreters. And this whole message from Jesus so far has been what it means to live the deeper life, what it means to live the kingdom life, the Holy Spirit-filled life, the abundant life, the sanctified life. These are believers, we can assume, who have taken that first baby step uh, into salvation, what theologians call regeneration. To enter the narrow gate, to take the narrow path is something you, as a believer, something myself as a born-again believer, are being asked to do every day. It's not a one-and-done thing. When you compare this passage, especially to the parallel passage uh, in Luke 13, 24, this is the, the shorter account of the Sermon on the Mount. In that version, we're told to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. So, so Jesus can't be referring to salvation here. Um, he can't be referring to conversion. Why not? Because salvation is a free gift by the grace of God alone. Having to make an effort to be saved is, is antithetical to the gospel. Good works to get into heaven? Never. So Jesus is instructing the saved you and me, us good church-going folk, um, those of us who are in the faith after conversion. And as you know, it's actually after you've been born again that some of the hardest decisions come. Uh, it's where the proverbial rubber meets the road, so to speak. I think maybe you've heard this illustration before, but I think of a race. Think of race day and the people lining up uh, at, the, at the starting line. Just stay with me, uh, camera guys. Let's say, let's say you, know, you know what those runners do. They all, they all kind of, you know, they, they, they're, they're getting ready. They're limbering up. Okay, okay. Maybe they even get in starting blocks, right? And, and then there's this tension of like getting a good jump on the, on the starter's gun. Maybe you guys, there's only 10 of us here in the building, but maybe you guys could help me on the count of three, just go bang like a, like a starter's gun. One, two, three. 
And then imagine that they take a few steps and they're like, oh, praise God, I I started the race. And there's a group over here in a prayer huddle and they're like, oh, thank you, God, that we began this race. And then, you know, some others are just sort of like, oh, this is so great. I took a few, that, that is not what the Bible pictures as, as the abundant life, as the Christian life, as sort of just getting past the starting line and then sort of uh, resting on your laurels. The Bible actually paints a picture of a, of a journey uh, that the, the, Crossing the line of faith is just the beginning. So why this metaphor of the gate? A gate is what, you know, gets you through a wall or a fence, right? Um, What we want is behind that wall. And what's behind that wall? Our inheritance. You and I as believers are called to an inheritance, Some get it, some don't, some come into their inheritance, some fritter it away, some bury it, others invest it and are are given even more afterwards. I want my inheritance, You, you do too, don't you? So if this is not about heaven or hell, saved or unsaved, then this short passage still raises a bunch of questions like if the narrow gate leads to life, What do you mean by life? Uh, Why do only a few find it? Um, What even is the narrow way that leads to life? What is this wider gate that leads to destruction? And, And what is destruction if not hell? So first of all, the narrow way, the narrow way really is the way of the cross. It's the way of submission. Listen to what Hebrews 5, 7 says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. To submit means to yield. Uh, to yield to, to the authority and control of another. In this case, God our Father. Jesus did this. On the night of his betrayal, he fell to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not my will. Your will be done. The the first step of submission is to yield to God's sovereign authority. The way of the cross, the narrow way, it's also a way of sacrifice. Sacrifice is where you give something up in order to achieve something else. Jesus gave up his life in order to achieve our salvation. You remember, I don't know if you remember that song Robin Mark used to sing. Uh, I'm not sure if, if we sang it at Knack, but all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. For it's only in your will that I am free. We sacrifice our will, our agenda, our plans, to actually achieve true freedom. And we don't like to talk about this, but the way of the cross is, all, is about suffering as well. Suffering means to undergo pain, grief, loss. We, we know there's more than one kind of suffering, more than just the, the physical 
kind of suffering, the kind that Jesus endured on the cross. Sometimes pain is found in making an unpopular choice, going on the narrow path. The day has come for many around the world. It may come for us in the Western world where we literally endure physical suffering to uphold our faith. But in your suffering now, whatever that is, sickness, depression, relational brokenness, financial loss, things that are not directly tied to your Christianity, we still have the opportunity to dignify every trial as followers of Jesus. We, we suffer these things not as the world does, but as those who have like a supernatural hope. There is emotional suffering and spiritual suffering, the times where it feels like God has hidden his face from you. And it, it, can, it can include things like shame and embarrassment when our friends and family think that we've lost our minds. Um, uh, the, the shame of a damaged reputation all because we want to follow Jesus. Some of you know all too well what that is about. You you best believe that that gets God's attention as your father. He sees your suffering. He is moved when he sees his children willing to bear the shame of Jesus' name. You know, the way of the cross sometimes means isolation, having to suffer alone, even though we know Jesus is with us always, but people may not always be. I think of Jesus's inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John. They fall asleep in the garden when Jesus just wanted them to pray with him an hour. And he realized he'd have to go through the hardest thing in his life alone denied, betrayed. Sometimes the way of the cross is the way of loneliness. Am I selling you on this yet? Are you like pumped about the narrow way? (laughs) Stay with me, okay? The second question is, well, why only a few? Uh, Why do so many Christians opt for the wider gate? Some say, particularly those who see these verses as heaven versus hell or Christian versus non-Christian, would say that this means that those who took the wide gate were never really saved. They were never really Christians to begin with. I think it's a little more nuanced than that, actually. Are there not believers who let things come into their lives that cause their affection for, for spiritual things to diminish? Haven't we all been guilty of that at one point or another, taking the wide gate? I I suppose the easy answer as to why Jesus says that only a few people will enter um, the narrow gate is because we don't like hardship. We all want the easier way. We want a quick fix. Frankly, sometimes the Pareto principle, have you heard of this? The 80-20 rule is absolutely true be it in churches or businesses or life, the Pareto principle is that 20% of the people contribute about 80% of the fruitfulness, the effectiveness, the, the overall good. And I don't say that to be condemning in any way, but it is usually a small percentage 
who invite people to church, who take their turn in the nursery, who have a burden for the lost, who have a deep concern for the poor, who persevere when things get going tough, those who truly forgive when they've been wronged by others, who respond humbly to God's correction and discipline, um, those who give generously, um, those who pray faithfully, those who bear their cross. That is what Jesus means by the few who choose the narrow way. It is definitely the road less traveled. In one of the oldest novels in English, it's certainly the first novel ever written with an overtly Christian theme is the classic Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you really should read it. it it's good. And it imagines the Christian life is that of a journey, right? And that's actually a very biblical way to look at the Christian life uh, in that metaphor. And there's this character named Christian. Okay, that's a little on the nose, but he enters his journey through the narrow gate. And, and that's when the adventure really begins. Staying on the narrow path, and it's intersected with all kinds of wide and crooked paths that seem easier, but, but it's staying on this path where he ultimately finds relief, where he's able to remove the heavy burden that he's been carrying. So the alternate route to the narrow way is the broad path, the wide gate. And Jesus tells us right away, it is a path to destruction, to ruin, defeat, a loss of inheritance. Not surprisingly, most people enter through the wide gate. Um, it's easier. It's more convenient. For one thing, it's easier to find. You know how you find it? Typically, all you got to do is just follow the crowd, right? Follow the culture, and they'll take you there. It's, it's the way of least resistance. And you can actually be the one who is responsible for taking others with you to the broad path, actually causing them to miss the narrow path. That's sobering, eh? On the broad path, there's all kinds of room for you to take all your baggage with you, you know, stuff that you should have left behind a long time ago. On the broad path, just bring it all. The love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, as, as 1 John says. The wide path has way more opportunities to make more money, maybe, to mix with the beautiful people, so to speak, the rich and the famous and the prestigious. And that's pretty enticing. There's a good chance you'll have more fun on the broad path, at least for a season. The wider gate will beckon you with sexual temptation. The broad path allows you to look at pornography, maybe even justifies it. It's a path that will actually affirm your lust, affirm you holding grudges. It will give, it'll give in to what makes you feel good. And the wide gate is good for us who don't do so good with delayed gratification. 
like if you crave appreciation and you can't wait for that affirmation that's going to come from God one day who, who will say, well done, good and faithful servant, then the wide gate will give you lots of accolades. Maybe, the, maybe that crowd approval that you've always longed for. But Jesus says it's a road to destruction. So what does that mean? Um, it can also be translated as waste or ruin. It, if you think you're wasting your time and talent trying to serve God, you'll actually come to ruin choosing the wide gate, the broad path. And it can happen to Christians. Uh, in the New Testament, we read a, a little snippet through Paul's letters about this dude named Damas. And this was a guy right in the middle of God's activity in the early church, right alongside guys like, like Paul and Luke. But later, to put it succinctly, he chose the wide gate. Actually, among Paul's last words were in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. And uh, you remember in Acts where Ananias and Sapphira were part of the earliest church and they let their love of money, uh, their approval from others take over. And they, they were found out in a lie, but they, they kept digging, digging in, even lied to the Holy Spirit. It cost them their lives. You know, I'm going to show my age here or maybe my upbringing. I'm a child of the Gaithers. Okay, somebody write in the comments, amen, if, if, if you're with me. But uh, there was this singer. <clears throat> He's practically the permanent opening act for Billy Graham back in the day. Good Canadian dude, actually. Um, a George Beverly Shea. Used to sing this song that he wrote, um, which is, is like an anthem against the broad path, the wide gate. It goes like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I had an uncle, uh, Uncle Ken. He's no longer with us. I'm told I, I have a lot of his DNA, uh, a lot of his resemblance, his artistic bent, you know, drama and music, uh, maybe even a smidge of some of his mental health difficulties. The man who was raised in the house of my grandparents, missionaries, faithful followers of Christ, just gentle, beautiful, sweet people. And Ken finds himself uh, blessed with good looks, all kinds of acting talent, a singing voice that could maybe give him all kinds of opportunities and fame. Now add that to a growing rejection 
of his parents' way of life, of his parents' faith. And he goes off to New York and Toronto to find fame and fortune on a very different path. And, uh, and I'm happy to say that Uncle Ken ended his time on earth as a recommitted believer. But, you know, if you ask my mom or my aunt about the cost of the wide gate, the self-centered gate, there's a cost. It cost his marriage. It cost his relationships with his parents and his own child. He became physically blind, ironically, I suppose, in the midst of becoming spiritually blind. He literally lost his mind. And now, please don't misunderstand. I am not saying God caused any of that. I'm telling you, though, that there is a cost to the wide gate, to the broad path, what seems easiest and most popular and affirmed by others can turn into so many wasted years. When Jesus talks about this path that leads to destruction, I wonder if he could partly, it could partly be understood as having to live and die with the folly of our bad choices. That, that, that one will see too late even, that it wasn't worth it. Even if one ascends to the heights of fame, fortune, whatever it is, every hedonistic desire, it is only a matter of time until you see the tragedy of a wasted life. Jesus says the narrow road leads to life. Life in this case does not mean, I don't think, heaven or salvation or regeneration. It means the true life, the abundant life. Jesus says ours can be like the Living Bible translation calls it, life in all its fullness, right? The message translation calls it real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. It's the spirit-filled life. It's the walking with God in relationship life. And you can discover how true that Christian life really is. You know, it's one thing to be saved and know by faith that you're going to heaven. But there comes a time when we need to discover for ourselves just how real and how true the Christian life is. Many of you are probably like me who made professions of faith when you were like five, six years old, right? And those, I believe, were just very legitimate, legitimate conversions. But each of us needs to discover this life after life, this relationship with God, this Sermon on the Mount life. And again, it is so much more than just getting out of the starting blocks. It's so much more than making some one-time decision. It is a decision, really, that needs to be made over and over again throughout a lifetime to choose the narrow way. Paul calls it being changed from glory to glory. And it comes by saying, as Titus uh, says, no to ungodliness and worldly passions and living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives 
in this present age. You and I are called to an inheritance. It's what accompanies salvation. Hebrews 6, 9 says, you were meant for better things, things that come with salvation. It's your inheritance. My inheritance from God may not be the same inheritance for you. You know, Joseph's inheritance was being prime minister of Egypt. And it came by overcoming sexual temptation, suffering false accusations with with grace, by totally forgiving his brothers who wronged him. God has an inheritance for you this morning. If you choose the road less traveled, the narrow way, you will absolutely come into your inheritance. Not to mention receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Remember though, the narrow gate sometimes means really tough choices, okay? Sometimes it means to agonize, to pray hard, to ask, seek, knock. It means accepting what God puts before us with grace. Resisting the temptation to make ourselves look better, that can be agonizing. Resisting the temptation uh, to be in a sexual relationship outside of marriage, it can be agonizing. The narrow way is the way of discipline. And others may drift to one side, but you don't. Why? Because you choose to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why is it that few find this road? Maybe because few really want it. Few persevere. Few overcome the obstacles. But for those who do, you won't be sorry. You'll hear, well done good and faithful servant. You stayed the course. You kept the path. Come into your reward. Narrow as the road may seem, Jesus, I'm going to follow where your spirit leads. Broken as my life may be, I'm going to give you every piece because I hear your call. Lord, I'm available. Amen. Amen. didn't emphasize enough is that as as narrow as the road is you are not alone 
Jesus is with you. And that makes all the difference. Listen to what Sky Jatani says, the, whose book we're basing this series on. This may be the most comforting reminder of all. We do not take the narrow way because it is easy or because we long to be different. We do not take it merely because the wide road leads to destruction. We take it because on it, we encounter the presence of Jesus. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, as long as I recognize this road as the one I am commanded to walk and try to walk it in fear of myself, it is truly impossible. But if I see Jesus Christ walking ahead of me step by step, if I look only at him and follow him step by step, then I'll be protected on this path. Boy, his presence makes all the difference, doesn't it? Church, I, I don't know when this will end. I'm waiting by the <clears throat> computer the moment that we're allowed anybody in our building above 10 people, um, our doors are open. But until then, be faithful, persevere, keep connecting with people. It's so good to be able to watch church, engage with church online. More than that, will you go and be the church? You're such a love people. God bless you.